0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: If your restaurant wants to put the best on the table, look for food with the New York State Certified Seal. It's food that is grown right, right here. Learn more at certified.ny.gov.
2: Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Irway. It's a kind of gloomy Sunday here in Brooklyn, but I am really excited because I have the delightful presence of a wonderful James Beard Award-winning cookbook author. And uh, she's one of the most prolific cookbook authors and food journalists there are. Um, there are. And uh, she came from across the pond just for this interview. I'm just kidding. Um. <laughs> oh, no, I did. <laughs> okay, good, good. Excellent. And uh, that would be Diana Henry. Thank you so much for joining. It's good to be here. Um, your latest book is called Simple, Effortless Food, Big Flavors. Uh, you may have seen some of her previous books. There was the, as we mentioned, the James Beard Award winning A Bird in the Hand. There's A Change of Appetite, Salt Sugar Smoke, Roast Figs, Sugar Snow. Crazy Water, Pickled Lemons. I just love the titles. I just love reading them, so. A good title is really important, I think.
1: Isn't it? Sometimes the book will start with a title. It's it's not so good if oh. you have to struggle to find hmm. one. When I did Crazy Water, Pickled Lemons, I had lots with well, the first book I wrote. I had quite a lot of recipes in my head because it was about food that was had enchanted me. I grew up In Ireland, So there was nothing exotic, but reading things like the Arabian Nights. Mm. So I started to kind of long for ingredients like figs and pomegranates. Um, So I had an idea of the kind of food that would be. But then Crazy Water is an actual dish that's served on the Amalfi Coast. It's a fish dish. And then pickled lemons, preserved lemons, something they have in North Africa. And I put those two things together, and that seemed to be just kind of really
2: capture that kind of food that title seemed to say that to me it's that is evocative and romantic. Title. yeah and and it's very striking for um you know it's i think it says a lot about your style of food writing it's um it's very emotional it's very um it's just lovely and descriptive and um it's it's personal too it is very personal it's funny cuz i think i think Americans
1: are more comfortable with that than we've been right. in the uk when I, with that first book, which in fact has been selling and, and is still selling, it's become a kind of like classic among people mm-hmm. who love food. Uh, but some reviewers said, oh, it's all about I. She's always talking about what she thinks. It's mm. like, well, what else would I be writing about? So I think it was hard to get that voice accepted Mm. in the UK. And I like a lot of American food writers, and I think they're much more comfortable with the personal and emotional approach to food. And, you know, food is not just something we eat. It is about memory and imagination and where you come from. So, and I want to read other people's personal feelings about it and their reactions to it. So I just wrote really what I wanted to read.
2: Right, that's really a good point. You know, food recipes didn't come from some, like, I, I guess, you know, scholarly text or bible it came from somebody's (laughs) imagination well there's that and
1: also recipes come from you know a cultural context Mm -hmm. and i always love to hear whether it's a traditional recipe that a writer um has picked up and they've changed it slightly or whether it's something that comes out of their heads completely i love to know what inspired dishes or where they've come from i think recipes in a context is what i i love reading about that Mm -hmm. i would never try to go online to find recipes because yeah, they're recipes, but they're not part of anything. Right. And, you know, I mean, they might work and they'll get supper on the table maybe.
2: But right. the whole joy of food, I think, is where it comes from. Absolutely. The context. Yeah. That connects you to, like, why do I care? Why should I care about this dish? Well,
1: and I think recipes particularly are about um, connectedness. Heidi Swanson, mm-hmm. she it's a very good quote. She said once that recipes intersect our lives. And I think that's really true and before I even started writing about food when I went on holidays or I went to you know abroad I would try if I could to kind of talk my way into somebody's home kitchen I certainly would talk about food to the people I met and I'd, I'd come back home after holidays with you know recipes in my pockets Yeah. and um now I just do that I, but I collect more of them but that way that you're connected to someone who gives you one of their recipes and maybe you give give them one of yours it's from my home to yours Uh, and from my country to yours i i like that i think that's a very special thing about it's the
2: truth it really is so Mm. so you mentioned heidi swanson 101 cookbooks a prolific blogger yeah um what other food writing idols or mentors have you had oh in the states or actually anywhere
1: um here i love um john thorne Okay. Calvin Trilling, uh, Molly O'Neill. She's mm. she's a, she's a great writer. I think I know she doesn't write for the New York Times anymore, but I think she's her prose is wonderful. Um, and in terms of kind of of influence, it would be. This sounds kind of mad for someone from Ireland, but it would be Californian. When I first discovered Alice Waters' Chez Penny's menu cookbook. We, in London, we were in the middle of Nouvelle Cuisine. So it was hexagonal plates and really reduced stock sauces. And I was always buying veal bones to make stock. And then I found Alice's book. And the first menu that I hit on, I think it was um, goat's cheese with roast garlic and sourdough. And then she had roast pork with charred peppers. And then for dessert, she was just suggesting a bowl of cherries and almond cookies. And that was Revolutionary yeah, from where we were true. at that time. Yeah. And a kind of shiver did go down oh. my spine at the magicalness of a menu that simple, very clear fra- flavors and a sense of place as well it was kind of mediterranean inspired but it was very californian
2: it was definitely very opinionated it had a strong point of view right?
1: yeah, yeah. And well, that influenced me and i love joyce goldstein who works there as well mm-hmm. and judy rogers from the zuni cafe so as soon as i discovered alice i kept a big eye on what was happening mm. over there and she's had i mean that whole kind of californian approach that led to the local seasonal kind of mantra mm. which we all have you know in lots of Countries now, that's I think that's where it came from. So we have, I think, in the UK we have a debt to
2: California food that's not always um, credited. Interesting, yeah. And you mentioned in the beginning of your book that um, the uncommon ingredients has really grown in the UK in the past decade or so yes and uh, that sometimes is divisive so some people are delighted to hear about recipes with like uh, pomegranate molasses Mm. and others are like but this is not something I can just grab I have to go hunt you know complain
1: complain. I get about two-thirds who really want to go and find new ingredients and about a third who really moan about it Mm -hmm. and the difficulty with that is if I'm writing a cookbook, there's no point in me putting in, you know, How to Make a Shepherd's Pie or Fish Cakes. Most people already know, and it's been done in lots of books. So I do think, and it's just my approach, I mean, in among all the kind of... Irish and British traditional dishes yeah. I do I've always loved to kind of suck up other cultures right. and that means having other ingredients
2: and explore through tasting and cooking yourself yeah well mm-hmm. if you are
1: at home and cooking every day for a family or even just for you and your partner um you do want to you want to try new things but also it is about tasting a culture which is yeah. something I really love to do yeah I mean my my um my larder my store cupboard at home it's divided up into sections according to where the where the the kind of the, the food is from. So I have got a big Middle Eastern section. So when there's the pomegranate molasses, the sumac, the preserved lemons and everything. I've got Spanish stuff. I've got Italian stuff. I've got a French section. There's a growing Scandinavian section. So mm. sometimes, you know, when you're trying to think about supper tonight, you go in there and you think, well, you know what you have in the fridge that's fresh, but also you look and you think, where can I go with this? Right. Um, So the the kind of the thing of kind of moaning about not being able to get things, I don't quite understand it. Mm. Because certainly in the UK, in most supermarkets, you can get most things and you can get anything online. And some of these
2: things are just pantry staples. They last forever. I know. Most, you know, yeah, you will just they'll just stay there. You'll keep that. Yes. And and you'll be able to keep using them. And as uh, we saw a great little description of your spice rack and your kitchen um, recently in the New York Times with a profile by Melissa Clark. So congrats. She did did look in my store cupboard. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, Diana, I have to ask this now that we're on the topic of cultural, uh, international cuisines and how much that's really blowing up in, in everyday kitchens, but also in restaurants. There has been a bit of a discussion around the media over the question of you know, when what happens when a chef cooks uh, a cuisine outside their heritage? Uh, you know, where is where is there a line or is there a line crossing into something that may be called cultural exploitation? That is, it's a new-ish fad buzzword.
1: Um, so. It's something that I've been sort of concerned about but not because I thought somebody was possessing something else that they shouldn't I just would like to be sure that somebody knows what they're doing that they understand the the cuisine sufficiently that they're turning out good foods yeah but I see the UK we have taken stuff from everywhere since the middle ages so you know um spices that went into our Christmas pudding and a lot of the stuff that we like when you think Curries. of, well, mm-hmm. well, that was kind of later, but even early on, we liked, we liked sweet things with savory meats, which is very Arabic. Um, so we were already kind of influenced by that kind of stuff. Oh, and then later on, yeah, we've had Indian and Pakistani people coming in and now chicken tikka masala is said to be the most favorite, you know, everyone's favorite dish <laughs> in the UK. Yeah. and. you never felt, I mean, it has never been felt that we are taking these things that we shouldn't, but it's come in as a big hole. And I don't think you can stop the flow of things from country to country and culture to culture. I'm not even sure why you'd want to. (laughs) Nobody's kind of saying we're taking this and we're owning it and you can't have it anymore. I just think in history, the whole kind of the development of food and the kind of evolution of dishes has had to do with kind of crossing cultures. So to to stop that or to ban it or be to be too aware of it i think it's just not natural in a way Hmm.
2: yeah that's a great perception to just kind of step back for a moment and just look at this whole evolution instead of you know focusing on this one chef and what he's doing and so forth here do people feel that that it's wrong is there there has been some controversies lately um uh you know with um i can't just kind of blanking on his name. Yeah, Mexican sh- uh, restaurateur. Okay. Uh, who is an American?
1: Yeah.
2: Um, so there was, um, and then there was a Bon Appetit video showing a chef who was American um, creating a food f- dish and giving a sort of instructional how-to of, okay. that people had a problem with, and they took it down. Bon okay. Appetit. Yeah. Um, so it's I don't not. Know. It isn't
1: such an issue in mm-hmm. the UK. Um, and I think there's kind of crossover between right. cultures Maybe different all attitudes. the time. I think we've been a very, I think we've been a very magpie culture in our own food history. We take things from everywhere and and there's a real embracing of other people's, I mean, really of other people's ingredients. We get very excited about it. I mean, it's partly because I think our own British food is quite, it's, It's not huge. We don't have, I couldn't sit here and name you 30 dishes that are in the kind of core British repertoire of classic dishes. So we've always um, taken stuff from elsewhere, but I think in a very positive way and in a very embracing
2: way. And in a delicious way, as we've seen in your cookbook. Um, yeah, thanks for shedding light on that. I always just love to ask people what their thoughts are. Uh, it's all over the place. So, um, but okay, so you, this book is called Simple mm-hmm. Effortless Food, Big Flavors. It is your 10th book. Mm-hmm. So, I'm curious, uh, what made you land on this uh, simple route? This um, time? I think that people think,
1: ter- even people who are involved in food like me, uh, when you have to get supper or dinner on the table every day, You, I think it's hard to have ideas that aren't very time consuming Mm -hmm. Um, and I think we think in building blocks so the book is structured into kind of chops, sausages, fillets of fish and I think even though that seems dull I think that's where most people start when they think about the evening meal Um, so then I wanted to take those and look at ways that they could be Transformed into something that was a bit special, Mm -hmm. but without making too much effort. It's not a book of quick cooking because I think our focus on quick cooking means we think something you stand there and do for 15 to 20 minutes. Maybe it's a stir fry, lots of chopping, and then it's on the table. In a way, I like food that's even easier than that because I want stuff that you can do in about. 10 to 15 minutes and you no know, you stick it in the oven or it's on the hob and then you can go and open a bottle of wine or check your mail or you know deal with your children or whatever but while you're doing that the heat either of your hob or of your oven is doing the work so that's the thing that's doing the transforming you're not having to have very much kind of hands-on care on that dish at all so that is what's in the book it's um when i say effortless i really mean short amount of time at your kitchen counter then you go and do something Might take an hour for the thing to actually cook, but you haven't done very much. Uh Um, So I like that kind of cooking. I love using my oven. I don't think we use our ovens enough. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you do, if you're kind of cooking chicken thighs, maybe with sweet potatoes and wedges of onion, you put some smoked paprika on it, olive oil. You get it in the oven and. When it goes in, it doesn't look like much. I mean, I don't even brine this chicken. But as long as it's all in a single layer, it will all cook at the same time. And then you take something out after 45 minutes, maybe put some feta on it, maybe coriander, slivers of preserved lemon. You have got a dish which is maybe really full of different flavors. some
2: crusty bread and yeah. just dip it in there.
1: And, it's, yeah. and it has com- the, the heat of the mm-hmm. oven has completely transformed this dish without you
2: doing very much at all. And I
1: do love that kind of cooking, especially during the week.
2: I definitely want to talk more about this, uh, the building blocks philosophy, which I think is very helpful, and much more of your recipes um, after a quick little commercial interlude. We'll be right back.
1: chefs and restaurants are proud of the food they put on the table and serving produce that comes from local environmentally responsible farms is a way to leave an even better taste in everyone's mouth so when shopping for your ingredients look for the new york state grown and certified seal it lets you know which food is grown right right here in new york state certifying the food that comes from local farms that meet a higher standard You'll not only be serving local food, you'll be supporting local farmers. Learn more about the New York State Grown and Certified program at
2: Certified.ny.gov. All right, we're back with Diana Henry, whose latest book is Simple, Effortless Food, Big Flavors. So, uh, we were just talking a little bit about the idea of building blocks to create a meal around and kind of thinking. I think that's like a really great way to kind of put you on a path of not having to think as much next yeah. time and, you know, not having to do everything from all over, you know, just going through recipes, ingredients, and so forth. So, um, do you find that people, I, I think that certainly in the US and, you know, I've been commenting on this for a while. They they don't really cook as much these days, um, or as, let's say, not as often as, I don't know, our parents' time. Um, What is it like in the UK? Do you think that that's... I think there's a kind of
1: problem similarly in that we watch loads of TV shows, we buy loads of cookbooks, and people feel they're too tired or too time short to do things in the evening. Um, It's one of the reasons I wanted a book like this one to be to make it feel doable for people. I really right. think, and I understand the time That's the thing. the biggest challenge, yeah, the time. Yeah, I think that, and I think ideas are short as well. People kind of, so then it's just easier to get a takeaway if you can't think, what will I do with chops? What will I do with chicken? But I really honestly think that if you do not do some cooking every day, I think you're missing out on the sensual pleasures in life. I mean, this is the easiest supper I will do. And I would take this above quite a few more complicated dishes would be spaghetti mm-hmm. with um, you just sauté sliced garlic in olive oil just so it's golden don't let it go anymore Um dry chili flakes, flakes which you might have in your cupboard mm-hmm. chopped parsley lemon zest and lemon juice and then more olive oil mm-hmm. a good a good one an extra virgin to pour on it when you've tossed it all together and your parmesan and that is that is a delicious supper to me that's lovely but as well as as well as sitting down to eat it. While I've been cooking, I've had the smell of garlic. I've had the spray of lemon oil as I've cut into the lemon. When you chop parsley, it has that lovely green, fresh, herbal smell. So in a way, you've been partly fed before you sit down to eat. Mm -hmm. And I know when I've... There have been times when I worked in television and I was either in a studio or um, in an office that when I had very long hours, I might have kind of had something very easy or maybe even had a, a ready meal in the evening. And after you do that for a week, you start to feel, well, I did start to feel quite low. There's something missing. Yeah. And I think the connection with actual fresh food every day, um, I just I think it's good for people. I mean, I understand that not everybody feels comfortable in the kitchen, But I think it's a bit like saying, oh, I never take walks. I don't walk. That's not the kind of thing I do. I've never, I don't want to go for walks in the country. Um, I think cooking is a similar kind of thing in that it's not really, you're missing out badly. It's not really an optional thing. I think it's a life thing that is good for you physically, but also good for you psychologically as well.
2: Right. And not like not to go too crazy, you know all at once, not to like pour yourself into too much work, but just take these things in stride, and you know, yeah, I think that there are plenty of
1: dishes that can be done very mm-hmm. easily by people who do not feel that they 're very good cooks at all um that this simple the one I 've just written was slightly a follow up to a book I did um. Um, in about two thousand and four called cook simple right. and and that was really mostly dishes that you bunged in the oven, and I started that kind of cooking mm-hmm. when I had my first child right. because it was he cried all the time. I was always kind of like, "What can I do with basically one hand and I got a great response to yeah. that book. people who said, "I can actually burn water i can 't cook anything, but I can cook from that book and, and everything I could relate works. to it
2: too yeah you know? and, and i don and you really do you know walk I, the walk and talk the talk I, You're, do Working not want so, people
1: yeah i do not want so people much. to feel they can't do it mm-hmm. i really want people to cook because i yeah. think it's i think it's a joy
2: yeah so tell me what do you think of the phenomenon of meal kits growing in popularity i'm not a fan <laughs> well
1: because i think if I think any of those things which we feel become to feel dependent on, Mm -hmm. um, then we're not kind of doing things for ourselves. I think it's funny that we live in a culture which is broadly nowadays, certainly in the UK and I would say here as well, where we want to be able to do things. We want to be in control. We want to be creative ourselves. And running alongside that is this kind of giving up of our autonomy via ready meals or fast food or meal kits to other people who are going to make those for us you know since we since the beginning of the human race we've had to feed ourselves mm-hmm. and i think everybody has to learn to do that yeah. for themselves
2: yeah it's sort of like just outsourcing it but in a different way you know instead of the takeout meal it's just this thing that will can that will solve well i think yeah. that um
1: commercial concerns will always come up with mm-hmm. kind of new spins on how they can help people with the evening meal and people will always try them. It's not what I want to do.
2: Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess it has a lot of your cookbook and cookbooks and food writing been focused on, you know, just it's I love that you really focus and meditate on home cooking rather than I know I love home cooking. Yeah. So why is that after all these years, all these books? Um, you didn't stray into restaurant reviewing or something. I don't know. Just home cooking. Opening is... your own restaurant? Oh no, I hate that. <laughs>
1: no. um, home cooking is just from a real place, and I'm interested in the people that the dishes come from, as well as the dishes themselves. And I do like chefs, and I we learn a, not, a lot from them in terms of technique. And um, I love going to restaurants, but I like I like real food that is rooted in the home, really, because mm-hmm. it comes from somewhere.
2: Absolutely. So, just we didn't really talk too much about <laughs> the wonderful home cooking that you shared in this book, and it really is something else. Um, uh, okay, so talking about simple food, um, let's talk about this Ishita's chicken masala you mentioned you yep. discovered from uh, yes. somebody on Twitter. Yeah. This is a roast chicken that is rubbed with a lot of yummy spices. Yep, and just yogurt. a nice little combination mm-hmm. and yogurt and then, and then you have a spectacular roast chicken oh
1: it's gorgeous because- i mean it's just it's not just roast chicken, it's something completely different. Mm-hmm. so you can
2: have with that um,
1: some rice, some yogurt with a cucumber, um maybe a fresh kind of chutney, and then rice, and that's it really but I love it's very I'm really glad you picked that one out mm-hmm. because um Ishita is someone that I met on Twitter. And for ages, I didn't even know, she's called Food at Food with Mustard. Mm -hmm. Um, So she lives in Bristol, but I thought for ages, you know, on Twitter, you never actually know who you're dealing with. So I thought she was a kind of antiques dealer dealer in her mid forties. And I don't know why I thought that. And then when I met her, she's a kind of 26 year old surgeon. She's a doctor who lives in um, Bristol and she loves home cooking and she loves food. Um, And one of the dishes that she tweeted one week that she'd cooked was her family's. That is a family recipe her chicken masala and i just said can i have the recipe i'd love this so i think that's another nice thing nowadays you don't even necessarily have to go you know on holidays or to another country Mm -hmm. someone you'll just find someone on twitter who's like you that you get on with and they will share their recipe as well it was
2: definitely a passion project of hers to have this uh you know alter ego (laughs) in addition to being a what was it a doctor yeah she's a doctor i mean that's that's wild she
1: loves she loves food and she loves fiction and i love both of those as well so we had a lot to talk about on twitter
2: that's wonderful
1: it's a good place to meet up for other people who are interested in food i think that's that's what i find it good for
2: let's keep in touch diana on twitter (laughs) yes we must um so, unfortunately, that's about all the time we have oh. for today. I know there's so much to go over. Um, do you have a favorite recipe that you're raring to cook right now? You there is about?
1: there is a dish in there, okay. which is take- it's griddled chicken thighs with turkey spices. And it has a tomato salsa on the side. So, Perfect. tomato, um, onion, Maybe. coriander, and parsley. And you just need to marinate the thighs for a little bit and then grill them. That's oh. that's really nice. And if you add yogurt to that, because the, the salsa is actually quite spicy. But that is the kind of food that you know you eat that it attacks the front of your mouth those flavors are quite big mm-hmm. um that's my kind of yeah that's a lovely supper dish to me that doesn't take much time to
2: do it's all about a great you know pantry i think i think i think a, I think yeah, a good pantry yeah, is put it important to, put it together yeah i'm definitely going to try that soon especially i don't use the oven enough so you've really inspired me <laughs> <laughs> just let it go. Don't use the fry pan. Um, so, thank you so much for joining us, Diana. It's been a pleasure. Um, I hope everyone checks out Simple Effortless Food, Big Flavors, just out from Mitchell Beasley in the U.S. Um, it's wonderful. It's been wonderful having you. Thank you. And uh, you can follow you on at Diana Henry at, at Twitter. Diana Henry Food. Excellent. Uh, thanks, everyone at Heritage. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words.